We come from the retro future. We want you to be nostalgic for what's to come. A new channel and distribution network for smart people with bad taste featuring content from Church of the Subgenius, Creature Features, Cinema, Insomnia, Sleazy P. Martini and Guar, Troma, Corey Maccabee, Horror, Sci-Fi, Saturday Morning Cartoons, Midnight Movies, and Assorted Trash We Love. Add our channel, OSI 74, to your Roku player or visit OSI74.com. All systems go. What kind of a sick school is this? Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You got spunk. I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Oh, righty then. How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Stand up to my little friend. I love to celebrate come in the morning. What are you people? On dope? Stop whining. I got a crap on your deck that can choke a donkey. Hey! Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A day no man! Up your nose when you have a hose. What? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! Groovy. You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Here's looking at you, kid. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off! Go to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Hear that, Elizabeth? <laughs> I'm coming to join you, honey. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. We're on a mission from God. Hello and welcome to another fun-filled episode of Then Is Now Podcast. I am your host, Rigor. One of the main goals of this show is to bring you, the listener, up to speed on all the cool stuff that you may have missed out on. Surprisingly, many of you may have never heard of the TV horror host. Shame on you if you don't know what a horror host is, but worry not. We are here to remedy that. A horror host is a person, usually dressed up as a character of some type, that hosts or presents horror films on television and now also on the internet. Horror hosts have been around since the early to mid-1950s and became a nationwide phenomenon, particularly on local TV channels in all the major markets. From Vampira to Zachary to Elvira and all the way to today's online and local hosts, horror TV hosts are a beloved form of entertainment. On today's show, we have a special guest, horror TV host Mr. Lobo, who's going to tell us all about the history of horror hosting, about his career as a horror host, and more fun and weirdness than you can shake a stick at. So sit back and prepare to learn about one of today's greatest horror hosts. Class is in session. I have a bad feeling about this. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Food fight! Hey, you in my class? Oh, yeah, I am today. I think you should consider transferring to shock class. Woo-hoo! Now, now, very few students are severely injured in shock class. 
Bueller. When you were in school. Bueller. Did you ever cut class? Bueller. Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut classes. Good. Sign this. Um, he's sick. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell ring and all my kids are not here. Seven years of college down the drain. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. You lack discipline. As long as I'm here, there will be no grades or gold stars or demerits. We're gonna have recess all the time. Woo! Go! Play and have fun now! Folks, I am so honored and excited to talk to today's guest. He's an award-winning short film and commercial director and prolific freelance artist and writer who has written for radio, TV, films, comic books, newspapers, websites, and magazines specializing in humor, pop culture, sci-fi, and horror, as well as fiction and nonfiction. He wrote, directed, and performed a show called Radio Theater for nine years and was also the head writer for a long-running local cabaret parody talk show, The Mo Betterman Show. He's been covered in several horror magazines and in the national news. Nothing scandalous as far as we can tell. Well, maybe one. But he's also participated in many B-movies, offbeat genre films, and documentaries. He played Criswell in the 2015 remake of Plan 9 from Outer Space and produced 62 episodes of Criswell Predicts as an ancillary promotional tool for the film. He also hosts John Johnson's bi-weekly choose-your-own-adventure type web series called Spade. A jack-of-all-trades, he's not only a writer actor, oftentimes master of ceremonies, but also an ordained reverend and saint in the Church of Edwood, as well as reverend to both the Church of the Subgenius and the Universal Life Church, where he has officiated weddings for tons of couples, particularly his most diehard fans. More recently, he's created a Roku channel, OSI 74, which not only features tons of original content for both adults and kids alike, but also has his insanely popular show, Cinema Insomnia, where he's hosted horror movies since 2001. Please welcome to the show, the patron saint of late-night movie hosts, the incomparable and unfathomable Mr. Lobo. Wow, what an introduction. Thank you so much. Uh, that was so detailed. I was re- remembering things that I had forgotten that I had done during that introduction. Oh, well, thank you so, so much, Roger, for having me on the program. No problem. It's, it's truly a thrill to have you here, sir. In an effort of full disclosure, I just wanted to let you know that Carlos Borloff was unavailable, so that's why we kind of had to book you at the last minute. Ah, okay. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have Carlos to thank for this good honor. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just kidding. You probably don't remember, but I actually we met at the Horror Hound convention in Indianapolis back in 2011 where I was the horror host, Uncle Death. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. I. You know what? I now remember you. Absolutely. Uh, Horror horror, horror Hound was an interesting, I think I pretty much soiled all of my um, possibilities of ever being inducted into the Horror Host Hall of Fame at that that appearance. I don't know. That's not that's not my point of view, because I I just remembered being floored by what you had to say to all of us monster kids and and horror hosts alike. And the whole thing really felt like a a family reunion. So for me, it was it was a truly magical experience. And I was glad I got a chance to meet with meet you. But I I felt like I wish I could have spoken to you even more than than we did. Well, now we get to catch up for real. Absolutely. Absolutely. So on this show, what we do is we bring people up to speed on all the cool stuff that they may have missed out on or even stuff they should know. And horror hosting, it's one of those things that people should know. Can you, first of all, just give us sort of a brief history on the horror TV host and maybe set the stage for the listeners? 
Uh, yes, absolutely. I, you know, the horror host is uh, an interesting aspect to American pop culture, more specifically than other regions, I believe. Um, but it definitely has its roots in a lot of you know, classical horror literature, the concept of a spectral narrator, the person who takes you to the land beyond or the land beyond beyond and brings you back safely. And, you know, that concept is not a hard concept to understand, but the way it was kind of brought into media, especially mass media and pop culture in America, I think is really, is very unique. I won't go into traveling spook shows or radio programs like Inner Sanctum and Witching Hour, but when television came around, they sort of thought, okay, we've got this format, you know, how can we use this in television? And the perfect use in the 50s was all of uh, the universal classics of the 30s were coming to television, King Kong, Frankenstein, Dracula, but they weren't all greats like King Kong, Frankenstein, and Dracula. <laughs> and so they felt like if they had a consistent host, if they had someone that was on the audience's side and, and a program that they could build around these movies that would, that would uh, hold a horror audience and keep them entertained, would allow them to set their advertising rates based on the show as a whole instead of just the one good or one two or three good movies they had that season you know right so i think that was a big part of the horror host and i think that um you know a horror host also is a companion you know i think a lot of shows especially in the early days of television you know you're dealing with people who were up late at night by themselves or people who were you know home during the day by themselves and you know to have some company in the room or someone to watch the movie with you is is uh you know a, ni a nice thing i think vampira who was probably one of our earliest if not the earliest horror hosts there's a little debate on that for television you know she's like the classic horror host you know elvira definitely is doing a very similar thing that vampira did in the 50s where you have the dragon lady in the black dress you know talking to you not reading to you actually talking to you as if you're her companion and you're watching these movies together you know and i think that 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 companion aspect is really important i mean they did it with the afternoon shows with like uh, you know hosting cartoons and stuff, they'd always have a, a a captain or a skipper or someone showing cartoons. Right. And um, this just continued on and on. So going into the '70s, there were more movies, different movie packages, but things changed in the '70s because the movies that were coming to television in the '70s were even cheesier than the movies that came before because they were all drive-in movies coming to television in the in the '70s. So you got the whole "so bad it's good." aspect of the horror host where they're making jokes mostly about the films to sort of you know keep the audience invested in a movie that might be of a lower standard <laughs> than they're used to. 
So the humor definitely balanced that out and, and kind of made it a different kind of view, different kind of watching where it wasn't about how good the movie is, but how much fun can we have with the movie? And, you know, then that of course led to things like mystery science theater and things like that, where you have the hosts interacting and doing comedy on top of the movie as well as, so you're watching a movie and you're getting all of their humorous reactions all at the same time. So anyhow, that, that's the, I guess the, very sh long short version of what a horror host is and i kind of feel like a horror host doesn't necessarily have to show horror movies like it's kind of like you know brian eno's not a rock star but there really isn't a word for what brian eno is you know so i i feel like that horror host kind of is just i think in general there's a any sort of fun presentation of a movie i think falls into that category i know on cinema insomnia we kind of are doing the horror host format but a lot of the movies we show or a lot of the movies that we would that a lot of the movies that we have are all kinds of genres uh, not just horror films but right. they're presented with the with the uh, all the fun wraparounds, the comedy, the uh, the skits, the interviews, the you know the the, the sort of um, slumber party presentation around uh, a late night movie. So to me, I kind of feel like the movie hosting has become kind of a genre unto itself. You know, so yeah. I don't even though I tell people I'm a horror host, I I kind of think I'm I'm a cult movie host or a midnight movie host because I sort of feel like there's so many movies that work with that format and I love movies. Oh, absolutely, me too. You know, I grew up north of Boston and we had a show called Creature Double Feature and there was no horror host, there was just an announcer at the beginning and then in between the movies he'd tell you the first movie and then he'd tell you the second movie and he did it, you know, in a creepy, scary voice and stuff and I just remember as a kid, there was something I was missing. I was kind of longing for something a little bit more. And when Creature Double Feature went off the air, they replaced it with a syndicated version of Son of Svanguli. And that was an eye-opener for me. That I that was something new that I, I knew it was the missing piece to the puzzle that had been in my head that I couldn't quite put you know, put my finger on what we were missing. And that was it was to have an actual horror host in the Boston area. Well, Svengoolie was the best, used to be the best kept secret in horror hosting because, you know, he was only syndicated to a small number of cities during the 70s. But for the most part, he was the homegrown hero in Chicago. Right. And until me TV uh, recently, and when I say recently, I mean the last 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, a lot of people have got to enjoy a, a Silver Age horror host, you know. I mean, he's as classic as it gets. You know, all the Golden Age horror hosts were like uh, drama people, you know, like local actors who were pulled in to play a character that they usually auditioned for. In the case of a Silver Age horror host, and these are broad generalizations, of course, this doesn't isn't always the case, but the right. Silver Age horror host is usually a staff announcer or someone or a sportscaster or someone who works at the TV station who is tasked with putting on the Dracula cape and coming out of a coffin and 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 hosting the movies on Saturday night. Right, right. And, so, and, and, and Rich Cause is that guy. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And um, the, when we were at the Horror Hound convention way back in 2011, there was something that you had said to all of us that really stuck with me. And you were talking about how those of us who grew up watching these shows, you know, we may have been in separate cities, but we were still, we were all kind of watching the same thing. And I just wonder if you wanted to elaborate on that a little bit for our listeners. Uh, uh 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, when I was making the film American Scary, and I was just a researcher on that film, I did not direct it or anything like that. But when we were working on American Scary, there was some things that we had discovered is that a lot of the, um, it was a local phenomenon that happened nationally or a national phenomenon that happened locally. And so a lot of the presentations were eerily similar as if there's something in the zeitgeist. Everyone sort of knows the kinds of things that they that a horror host does almost right. instinctively it just seems like a lot of them have a lot of similar shtick and a lot of them couldn't have possibly seen each other right you know um so that part of it is kind of interesting and then that got kind of more as i got more involved in learning about horror hosts the original horror host package the screen gems put out uh the shock package came with almost like a booklet of you may want to hire a guy and put him in a bad Dracula cape. And, you know, they, they tried to encourage people to sort of take this spook show presentation uh, and bring it to television. So there, there was a little bit of a template with the fifties horror hosts, because when they released the shock package, they actually encouraged certain markets to present these movies in, in their own way, but they gave some suggestions in the seventies with the so bad it's good movies coming to television. The, Thing that happened there is there was a package called creature feature and so with with the shock package of films like maybe there was 58 films or something in the shock package everybody was watching those same movies with different hosts or different bumpers or different ways of presenting them so even though it was a a national phenomenon I mean, even though it was a local phenomenon, we were all kind of seeing those same movies. And the, the same thing happened again in the 70s with the Creature Feature package. A lot of shows, just like every show in the 50s was either like shock theater or whatever. A lot of the shows of the 70s had Creature Feature as part of the title somewhere because that was the name of the film package that the stations were buying. So, so even though, like I watched Bob Wilkins on Creature Features and he was my hero in the San Francisco Bay Area, you know, I saw Night of the Living Dead for the first time, the first supposedly the first time it ever aired anywhere on cut was was when Bob hosted it. Wow. But that but that being said, in uh, Washington, D.C. area, Count Gordeval, who hosted a show called Count Gordeval's Creature Feature, not Bob Wilkins Creature Features, but right. Count Gordeval's Creature Feature, another permutation. Just like you had your creature double feature in Boston, right? Right. Yep. Everyone had their own permutation, but they had all bought that same package. So <laughs> at the same time, Count Gore could say, Yeah, we're the first to show Night of the Living Dead uncut on television. So Bob and the people who have the DC area had that experience of their local horror host showing them Night of the Living Dead uncut for the first time. And the people in California had that same experience with their horror host. So it is kind of interesting that even though we didn't have the same host, we had our local guy bringing this, these films to us. So anyhow, yeah, that's, I guess, I don't know if that's where you were, where you wanted me to go with that, but that's, that was, that was definitely my discovery. Uh, especially when I got to meet and talk with Count Gordeval, he made a magazine called uh, Horror Host the Creature Features. We'd only did one issue, but I interviewed Count Gordeval and he was telling me that his station bought a film package called Creature Feature, and I went, "Oh shoot! Well, that's why you guys showed the same movies, and that's why you both claimed to show Night <laughs> Uncut for the first time on television because you both did at the same time." And and that's just it. You know, we as the audience, we weren't we weren't watching 
like us in Boston weren't watching what those in San Francisco were watching. However, we still were all watching the same thing, essentially. And we were kind of growing up in this same mold, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that there was a culture created because uh, a culture for monster kids where, you know, we were reading famous monsters magazine or we were seeing uh, those movies on television and circling them in the TV guide. So, you know, because there was such a limited pool of horror movies and limited medias to supply them, it, it pulled us all together, you know? Right. So we, we, we were all kind of learning about these things all together at the same time and, and, in, and enjoying them. Whereas I think now media is so fragmented that I think it's harder to have that kind of culture of people who are all kind of discovering things at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I kind of, I kind of look at it as sort of being bittersweet. You know, it's, it's great that we pretty much have almost every movie ever made at our fingertips, but it's too much. There's nobody knows where to go to start to watch these movies and learn about them. Netflix gridlock. Yeah. (laughs) How many times have I sat there looking to figure out what movie am I going to watch and two hours have gone by and I haven't picked out a movie and I don't have time to watch a movie anymore because I used all my movie watching time trying to find a movie. (laughs) I've been there many times, man. You know, and actually that's one thing we're not doing a commercial for, but one, one of the reasons I like prime better than Netflix is prime has a lot of the older stuff, which that's what I'm always looking for. I get on Netflix and it's all new stuff. And I, I've had bad experiences with newer horror movies and I'm like, I'm just going to stick with prime and, you know, watch the movies from the sixties and seventies. If I can get them. Uh, we, we've, we had four episodes on Amazon prime of cinema insomnia. Now we only have three. They took back Santa Claus conquers the Martians. And I'm not sure why, maybe they felt like they already had other versions of it on there and they didn't see, they felt that our version wasn't up to par. I'm not sure why they deleted Santa Claus. Now we only have three episodes on Amazon Prime uh, of Cinema Insomnia. We have the the Haunted House special, the Bob Wilkins special, and Ika, I think, are the three. And in Amazon UK, we have almost 20 episodes uh, that are viewable on Amazon Prime. So I don't know why they put the brakes on the stuff in the United States, why it's so hard for us to get more of our episodes on there. Hmm. Uh, I, I, all the ones that we supplied them had to be closed captioned, which definitely slowed things down for us. But I'm not exactly sure, uh, you know, maybe just the pandemic, we got caught up in the, in the, the you know, the pandemic might've been something that, has slowed down that kind of approval process for everybody. But I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I, right now, streaming is our, our definitely our best resource versus broadcast. We still have a few broadcast stations that show Cinema Insomnia, but honestly, a lot of people aren't watching over-the-air TV anymore. Right. And uh, so, you know, the most the largest amount of viewers that i can figure out where they're coming from are just watching on my roku channel which is osi 74 right, right. and we'll I, I definitely want to talk about osi 74 uh, in a little we'll bit put, but I, I wanted to kind of pin go, in it i'm sorry we'll put a pin in it absolutely we'll pin that one <laughs> yeah i wanted to kind of go back to the beginning and you know how did you okay. get to where you are now what what was it that made baby lobo say someday i'm going to be a fantastic horror tv host 
you know, the thing is, is that doesn't everybody want to be a horror host? I don't feel like that's special at all. I feel like being a, I mean, I wanted to be Rod Serling. I wanted to be John Lennon. I wanted to be a lot of people, you know what I mean? I wanted to be uh, Spider-Man. I, right. <laughs> I remember career, I remember career day at school. Like, what do you want to be? I want to be Spider-Man. But like, that's not a job. You can't be that. Um, that's funny. So, you know, I, I don't know what, uh you know other than i was a, f a fan of this stuff like everyone else uh i definitely was inclined to writing and drawing and making movies and you know so i was creatively inclined and i think the real turning point for me is that i wrote about this stuff and i worked on a magazine called planet x which was just a fanzine mm -hmm. for um sci-fi and pop culture and we did a story on bob wilkins and creature features because this was something that we loved and when i say we i mean the publisher scott moon and i and uh and i didn't even do the interview with bob for the magazine but i got to meet bob and when we launched the magazine we did a a live film show and we tried to recreate the creature features experience for us for a stage audience. So we showed uh, it came from outer space in 3D and we showed hardware wars and we showed a bunch of old commercials and things. And I wrote some material for Bob and Bob was very encouraging at the material that I had written and basically said you should sit in a chair and host movies. And I said, Bob, that people don't do that sort of thing anymore. You know, this is a thing from when we were kids and something that, you know, we all have fond memories of. And he said, well, you know, things have a cycle. Hmm. It's like usually it's 20, 25 years. You know, you could be on the forefront of another wave of horror hosts. And I la sort of laughed it off, you know, but it's something secretly that, of course, I would want to do. Right. But I would, I, it was very hard for me to accept that come, especially coming from my idol. It was very hard to accept or understand that there, there really wouldn't be an opportunity for another eight years where a friend of mine who worked at a TV station said, Hey, you know, I think I can get you a job at the TV station. And then I worked in the production department at the TV station and you know, we had toyed around with trying to make a show for eight years and not with no real opportunity. Hmm. And uh, there was a movie at 3 a.m. that ran 25 minutes short. And with with Bob's encouragement and uh, with Mike's encouragement, who worked at the TV station, uh, I approached the general manager and said you've got this movie that runs 25 minutes short because they wanted their new they were the news station right so they had their big news at 11 o'clock and so they cheated the rest of the night they made their news five minutes longer huh. at 11 so that kind of wrecked the schedule for the rest of the night so right. they showed a movie in the middle of the night and to figure out the balance with the with the uh commercial breaks they had six minute commercial breaks in that movie to make it all make sense yeah and i just went in there and said you know you've got this movie that's got six minute commercial breaks have you ever tried to sit through a six minute commercial break first of all second of all you can't even sell the time the 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 the, the, the commercials you're not selling commercials at three in the morning you're just filling it with promos because you can't sell commercials right so uh 
um, they didn't care. And we just started producing episodes. We made our pilot and we showed it to them. And we said, uh, this is the pilot. This is sort of how, what we have idea for the format of the show. And they aired it. And I didn't even know that they aired it. <laughs> so I come in on Monday morning and I'm like, well, what did you think of the pilot? And they're like, where's next week's? I'm like, no, you're supposed to decide whether you liked it or not. And they're like, where's next week? So we hit the ground running. We did 20, we did 24 episodes back to back with no break. And did you construct the pilot around that movie? What was the movie? The movie was uh, They Made Me a Criminal which was a, a film noir movie. Okay. And it had Claude Rains and the Dead End Kids. Oh, I love that. And so it wasn't a horror movie. It was just the movie they were showing that week. So it was interesting because they did, went from not caring, and they still didn't care. Right. They didn't watch the show. But it, 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 had a, it filled a function for them <laughs> that they could rationalize. And after that period of time, it became a bit of an annoyance for them. I think if it was under the radar and they didn't have to think about it, it would have been a perfect setup for them. But because it was it, it was gaining in popularity and they had to answer phone calls and they got mail and they didn't know how to, they didn't want to appropriate any resources toward it, you know? Right. And they didn't really respect it. And they didn't watch it. They didn't get the humor. I remember the general manager walking in and he says, I've seen your program and I don't have an opinion on whether I like it or not. <laughs> and then he walks out. And I'm like, well, great. I'm glad that you don't know if you like it or not. I mean, how do you even <laughs> respond to that, right? Right. <laughs> so there, was, there wasn't really much support other than from uh, the programmer there was pretty supportive. The old programmer, uh, the original programmer, he had actually quit at some point during our, our our initial run. But the original programmer was like, I love what you're doing. It's like, I, I think this is the shortest, what did he say? The, the shortest uh, learning curve I've ever seen on a, sh on a new show. It's like, you've, you, you're really getting a handle on this thing that you're doing with this character. Wow. And he was very encouraging. And then when he left, there was another guy that came in who, you know, nobody likes to inherit somebody else's thing, you know? Yeah. When they're, and he was, he wasn't super negative, but it was always like he would scratch his head and go, you always assume that the audience is smart. And that was always <laughs> the big argument. And I would say, isn't that better than assuming they're dumb? Right. You know, it, if there's a lowest common denominator, can doesn't it stand a reason that there's a highest common denominator? Right. I think people and, respect uh, you more if you're not talking down to them. I, I think so. I, 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 you know, the thing is, is that I don't know. I guess yes, you're right. I people do that. People do respect you more, and I think that you should respect your audience because. If 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 they're if you respect them, then at least there's a chance for mutual respect. Right. If you start off by disrespecting them, then there's never a chance for mutual respect. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, anyhow, we did that for those two first 24 episodes, and they it reached a point 
it's interesting because I feel like we successed ourselves out of having a show on that station because <laughs> it reached a point where they were trying to figure out, do we move it up to a better time slot? Do we assign one of our own producers to the show and give it a budget and start and start paying Mr. Look? Because, I mean, I was getting paid working at the station and the time I spent building the stuff for the show was all on the clock. And I did get paid to make the show, but I didn't get paid to make the show you know what i mean right it right. was part of my duty it was part of my duties at the tv station it was a silver age deal like what sven was doing where he already had a uh, a job at the tv station and this was just now another thing that he did while he was working yeah making the show so i went from having the silver age experience to what i call having the modern horror host experience they had put me on hiatus while they were trying to figure out what to do with the show and after four months had gone by, I just begged off. I just said, look, you know, my show is really simple. I don't need a $4 billion studio to make this show. You know, I can produce this stuff myself off campus and just syndicate it somewhere else so that I can keep this momentum going. Cause I kind of feel like we're getting, we've got good momentum with this and I want to keep it going. I don't want this thing to just die. Right. And they said, well, you can produce the show yourself. You can't use any of the episodes that you made with us. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and if, you, if you sell it to another station in our market, we'll fire you. Oh, jeez. So uh, I started producing the show myself. I took a year to sort of teach myself how to make the show on my own, which um, I had it on local public access in Sacramento. They had actually made a special exception to show our program on public access because it technically wasn't a public access show. I was producing it myself and then just submitting completed episodes. And they had a cap where all the shows were an hour or less. Oh, geez. And so what they, how they, I had a meeting with the board of directors and what they decided to do for for my show which i thought was very generous is that they went off the air at midnight and they just showed it after they went off the air so it wasn't technically within their broadcast day oh, it okay was, it was their sign off i guess huh that's interesting so they did that for a year i i did i was able to keep it locally for a year by having it on public access and in that time i was approached by a station in Norfolk, Virginia, of all places. And they said, you know, we were in Sacramento and we caught your show. Is it some, is there some possible way we can syndicate your show over here? And so I started sending them episodes and they started running them in Norfolk. Hmm. And, uh, and then I show a syndication outfit or I actually think there was another station before this, but there was another station in Monroe, Louisiana started showing it also. So we had two stations that were showing it. I used to make the joke that wherever teeth and shoes were scarce, people were watching my show, but that's not a very nice thing to say. Uh, but crackers love cheese. You don't want to make any of those jokes. Right. But, but, I actually was very happy that we were very popular in the Southeast 
and uh, a syndicator went, hey, I keep trying to sell these cr crappy movies to these stations and they said they already got it covered because of you. Can I just syndicate your show to other stations? Oh, that's so cool. We at a certain point, we were on 35, 45 small market TV stations across the country. Wow. And uh, the 2006 Halloween special had a footprint of 45 million homes. Wow. So broadcast TV was good to us for a little while, but broadcast TV was even then falling apart. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's just been up ups and downs. We, we, we were, had a really good run on DVD with apprehensive films. And then now we're on alpha video with DVD and we're doing streaming and yeah. So that's, that kind of brings us up to date, but that that's how it started was with the, uh, with the one station. I know I got, I got way off track there, but, <laughs> but uh, no, it's that, fine. That is, that is where that is, that is how it all started and, and, and where we are now. So that's amazing. Hey, cats and kittens. Do you remember the fifties jukeboxes, hot rods, malt shops, and sock hops? No, not really. Oh, well, do you remember that TV show, Happy Days? You know, Fonzie and Richie and all like that? A, sit on it, etc.? Kind of. Then join us for These Days Are Ours, a Happy Days podcast, where we watch every episode and give you the lowdown on what it all means. Find us at thesedaysareours.libsyn.com and follow us on Twitter at Fonzie Podcast. Be there or be square. You're sure you don't remember Sock Hops? Sorry, no. Okay, then. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Yeah, I remember discovering the Planet X Magazine website uh, probably late 90s, early 2000s. And that's where I discovered Bob Wilkins. And I I really loved it. And I, I loved the site because I just, just the look of it, I had a nostalgic feel. 
And I did manage to briefly correspond with Bob Wilkins back in the 90s. He was kind enough to send me a book about his show. And he's one of those people I wished I had had more of a chance to talk to before he passed away. But what can you tell us about Bob Wilkins? What kind of guy was he? Bob is a really interesting guy, uh, intensely interesting guy. There could be a whole podcast, I feel, just about Bob. But he basically was motivated by humor more than anything. I think that's why we connected so well, because all my roots are in humor. I was a cartoonist. I wrote sketch comedy. You know, I did radio theater and it was always funny. So, you know, I wasn't the person asking him like arcane details about hammer horror movies. Right. I was asking him about jokes, but Bob started, Bob wrote in, was in, worked in advertising in Chicago. He met, he had a chance meeting with Don Adams from Get Smart. Wow. And he asked Don, what should I do? I want to do comedy. You know, how do I do comedy? And Don, and Bob was a very slight guy with a whisper of a voice because he had tuberculosis as a, uh, as a kid, as a younger man. Hmm. So, you know, he, he, he had a whisper of a voice. He was very small, slight guy. He couldn't work in the coal mines. His dad worked in the coal mines and he was too puny for that. Hmm. You know, he, he, he had like uh, six older sisters or something like that. Wow. So Bob was like almost a cartoon of a nerd, you know, <laughs> giant glasses, small, small build, giant glasses, scrawny. Yeah. And he wanted to be uh, on TV. And Don Adams said, go to California and just find some way of getting in front of a camera. Hmm. And so Bob got a job working in the advertising department at KCRA three in Sacramento, uh, California. Now he was from Indiana originally. Bob was from Indiana. Oh, okay. So he moved to California. He liked Northern California because it reminded him more of the Midwest and the East coast. He lived in Sacramento. He worked at, the local TV station there. And what he had told me is that he always tried to have something funny to say, like at birthdays and retirement parties and things like that. And the normal movie host got sick. Okay. The afternoon movie host had a baby or whatever. And they just threw him out there during the week, hosting the weekday movie. And he was really funny, like really funny. And he dry, very dry sense of humor. I think Bob's idols were probably people like Bob Newhart yep. and, Stan, and Stan Freeberg and stuff yep. like that. The sort of smart set comedians, yeah. you know? So he was doing this sort of dry, self-aware kind of humor. And um, they had the creature feature. Actually, it wasn't, this is sort of pre-creature feature package, but they had a bunch of horror movies being delivered to KCRA. And they thought it might be funny and counterculture if Bob hosted it and Bob hosted it just as himself. He didn't wear a Dracula cape or have any sort of outrageous shtick. The outrageous shtick is that he didn't have an outrageous shtick. Right. <laughs> and the only prop he really had was his cigar because he was so nervous that he felt like if he had something to do with his hands, oh, okay, it would be something that would be a little less obvious that he was nervous. So he had this big cigar 
and he didn't really even smoke in real life, but it was became his trademark. Wow. I don't think he could smoke if his lung capacity was oh, that's you know, true. diminished from being, you know, hospitalized with tuberculosis. Right, so right. I think it was it was all just for the show. And um I think that Bob's gimmick was he would say things like don't stay up late. It's not worth it. Maybe you should find some things to do around the house. I'm going to read the TV guide and tell you the better movie that's on, you know, whatever, the, the other channel. I think they've got wrestling tonight on this other channel. You might want to watch that. So, you know, he, his, he, he, it was definitely reverse psychology because half the time he was telling you that the movie was terrible and that it wasn't worth watching. And the other aspect of Bob, which I think is really interesting, is from his very first show, he was connect because he was in marketing and advertising, he, he knew who his audience was. And he connected with that community of fans, the fan community. There was no internet. There weren't, you know, there weren't a lot of, there weren't conventions like there are today. There weren't places, outlets for fans. His very first episode, he had a 15-year-old kid in a Dracula costume on, you know, <laughs> and was, you know, he had uh, some water dyed red for him to drink. And, you know, he was talking directly to the fans from day one on his show. And even though Bob wasn't a huge horror movie fan, yeah, he knew his audience and he delivered for them. So, but he was always finding the creative people, the guys building robots in their garage or the guys wearing plan of the apes masks or building star trek kits he found all those people and he and he gave them a voice that's awesome and he, he you know he was like the subculture johnny carson you know right right and, and he also interviewed he interviewed christopher lee and he interviewed boris carlo i mean he had amazing celebrity interviews too but he also had common fans on there all the time people dressed as martians and stuff yeah and uh so i think that that was a big part of why he became so popular is because I think the fans identified him as a fan, even though he may have not been one, but he definitely was a friend of the fan community. And I think that people really picked up on the fans really appreciated that. And, and that paid huge dividends for him. He was enormously successful in Sacramento. And then he duplicated that in the San Francisco Bay area with the creature feature show there and became enormously successful in the number two television market in the entire country on top and, and, and the Sacramento and the Sacramento market concurrently. He, he was in both markets simultaneously wow. with his show. And if Bob met you or if Bob met any of the people listening tonight to your show, he would find out, he would listen to your whole story, find out what you were about and encourage you to do that thing nearest and dearest to your heart that's awesome that was his gift is that he saw the specialness in not just in me but he saw the specialness in everyone and encouraged them there's so many people that i've met uh who are filmmakers uh film reviewers comic book artists who said i met bob wilkins he encouraged me to do what i do I wouldn't be doing it today if, if he didn't encourage me. And Bob encouraged me. He sent me little cassette tapes and said, hey, keep doing what you're doing. He sent me postcards that were hilarious. One of them said, uh, never mind what the public says. <laughs> <laughs> keep going. You know, that's hilarious. 
Uh, That's great. Uh, you know, <laughs> what do you know that I don't know, Bob? <laughs> so, you know, uh, so he, he that was, I think, the thing that was really interesting about him. He used to drive around with different colored cans of paint in his trunk and he would paint over graffiti. Oh, wow. He called the BART system and campaigned for them to put in recycling containers next to their garbage cans. Wow. In the 70s. That's amazing. And they did. Wow. So the whole like recycling thing, I, I feel like Bob was on top of. Bob used to keep a bucket of water in his shower and he would let it fill up with water. And then he would flush the toilet with the water from the shower. Oh, wow. By dropping it in the tank. That's crazy. I mean, the guy was just like so good. <laughs> just such a straight up guy like you know he did he didn't like to waste anything he didn't like to be negative he just was at least in my experiences with him like i said i mean i don't know i didn't know him the best um i you know i was a fan of his i got to spend i was very fortunate to spend some time with him and i got to spend some time with him after he succumbed to alzheimer's oh wow the last years for him were, were rough because uh you know his whole stock and trade was his wit and right. uh he the alzheimer's was devastating um to that aspect of course of him but i got to do a lot of conventions with him where john stanley who was the second host of creature features after bob left and i were pretty much in charge of just you know, making sure Bob doesn't just walk away from the table, you know, or making sure he eats his lunch or helping him use the restroom or whatever, you know, because it got, it got bad. It got yeah, bad. Yeah. Well, that's too bad. But doing the shows with fans really brought him back, which was why we kept doing them, because it would every though his those passageways in his brain would just connect suddenly and he would just, you know, be there again you know and uh so it was very good for him to do those shows on a on a mental level because it definitely did reactivate a lot of his memory which is what he which is what he was losing right right and uh you know he would see a picture of willard or he'd see a picture of frankenstein and it would it would bring back a whole bunch of stuff for him so it was very like I said, good for him. And we did it for as long as we could. And it was good for the fans because they, they wanted to see him. But then we, uh, and then Bob passed. And we obviously, in 2009, Bob passed away. And I remember tr trying to do our first WonderCon after Bob passed away. Oh. We're like, how are we even going to do this panel? Usually we do a horror host panel right. in San Francisco with Bob every year. It's like, how are we even going to do this panel without Bob? This is really going to be really, this is going to be the roughest thing we're ever going to try and do. And by some miracle, Elvira sat in with us. Oh, wow. At that panel. And it was such a, it was so different. Like the dynamic was so different that it wasn't sad. And it was uh, really amazing that she came in there and was so great we had a really good rapport and elvira definitely 
gave not as much as Bob, but Cassandra Peterson gave me a lot of advice after that point. Right. As well. That's awesome. And uh, got me two gigs in San Francisco hosting. So, you know, she, she gave, she gave some, she gave some good advice too. And so, but I think that the amount of goodwill that Bob created with creature features has helped me my whole life, pretty much my whole career. Certainly. That's amazing. So are, were there any other horror hosts or, or even just regular TV hosts that you remember that was sort of an influence for you besides Bob Wilkins? Uh, yeah. I, honestly, I feel like uh, Rod Serling influenced me a lot. I just love that idea of, of the realm of the imagination and his approach of the, the spectral narrator. And I found Rod Serling to be very funny. Like his hu he had a humor to his introductions. I think a lot of people don't pick up on the irony of a lot of his introductions. But he and, and also... Alfred Hitchcock, his when he would play horror host and introduce his show or do promos and stuff for his movies, I always loved his introductions. I always yep. thought they were funny. I always thought that I could just listen to that guy talk forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but Rod, Rod Serling was really interesting in the in the development of Cinema Insomnia because I always thought it was weird. Like we talked about Elvira, like Elvira would come out. She's in this black gown. She's in this misty haunted mansion. She sits on this love seat or whatever it is. And then she introduces alien contamination <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, or the robots or something. And you're like, all of this set up for war, the robots, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, it, it always seemed like, okay, this is an off week when she had a sci-fi movie, you know? And then like Mystery Science Theater also, it's like they're on a space station, they got a couple of robots, and then they're going to show you a Dracula movie, you know what right. I mean? <laughs> and I always thought that, I always felt like an off week when they didn't have a sci-fi movie. So right, I knew exactly. that whatever I, whatever I wanted to do, I didn't want to be so genre bound to where it didn't feel like it was the right setup for the right kind of movie i wanted something that was more ambiguous than that and uh i thought that night gallery and twilight zone had this really interesting thing where you have this spectral narrator that's sort of out of time and out of space and unstuck in time and culture and i thought that was such an interesting like is is rod sterling really standing there or is he in another is he in a parallel dimension or is he just in our subconscious is he not even really there at all Right. And I just thought that the idea of that being a spectral narrator would be so cool. But then the other aspect of having someone who's so not cool and incompetent doing that job, <laughs> there would be so much humor that could be had by having the Charlie Brown of spectral <laughs> narrators, you know, because you've got this person who is almost has godlike powers and 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 uh omnipotence but then you giving it to this person who's totally clueless and has no power over themselves <laughs> or what's going on and i thought that the combination of that would have a lot of there would be a lot of humor that could come from that um well, it definitely works and, and that's pretty that's pretty much the 
the genesis of Mr. Lobo. Well, it definitely works. I was showing my wife some of your shows recently, and there was one where you were, in, you were introducing House on Haunted Hill, but you introduced it as House of a Thousand Corpses, and then someone off camera hands you a card and, and corrects you on the movie. And my wife looks at me, and she's like, she's cracking up, and she doesn't normally like horror hosting kind of stuff. And she looks at me, she yeah. goes, she points to the TV, she goes, he's funny. You're not funny. Oh, <laughs> ouch. You know what, though? Everyone's wives feel that way. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, to be honest, when I had my show on and this is this is this is uh, this is the reality of being an entertainer. The people closest to you will always appreciate what you do the least. You you, you know, the, the whole thing is like how people uh, know genius is discovered in their own country. You know, the further away from home and the further away from Sacramento I got, the more appreciated I was. Oh, interesting. Um, and, um, you know, I don't, I feel like my, you know, when I was on, and I, and I always kind of struggled with this, just like, hey, I have a show on ABC television every Saturday night. It's like, yeah, okay, it's on late, but I feel like if my best friend or if my spouse or if a, if, if it was someone that I knew who had a show, I would watch it because I'd be excited that there'd be someone that I knew who had a show. But honestly, my experience doing the show was very polarizing with a lot of people who were close to me. I don't know if it's necessarily jealousy or what, but it is interesting how many people who won't watch, like even my mother, she'd tape it, but I think she's only seen two episodes wow. in the you know, 20 years I've been doing the show and at least she got up in the middle of the night and pressed record on the, on the VCR. But you know, that's, I understand that I wasn't making that show from my mother, but it is interesting who won't watch. It is interesting uh, who, you know, the people who really love you are people who don't know you personally. You know, it's funny that you said that because I hadn't actually put that together. But yeah, I've got, you know, friends and even my own mother. I'm like, hey, have you listened to any of my podcasts yet? Oh, no, sorry, I forgot. But then I get letters from people across the country that I never I never met. And they're like telling me how they love the show. <laughs> well, and this is another thing that I also think of is that there are so many people who won't ever tell you that they love the show for that same reason that they that, that a person who doesn't know you might appreciate your show more than someone who knows you. Someone who really appreciates the show might not be able to talk to you. That's true. I, or, 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 or maybe won't because they, the way they appreciate the show is related to a certain dynamic that they, that they don't want to spoil. I always think of two things in my life that I really loved. One of those things was Mad Magazine. Another one of those things was Monty Python. Yep. Um, airplane. Another th uh, uh, airplane. I'm trying to think of. There was something real. Oh, Twin Peaks was a show I really enjoyed a whole lot too. Yeah. And in the terms of Twin, I'll put it in terms of Twin Peaks because that has a more direct action to it. I loved that show. I watched that show. We had parties. We dressed up like the people from Twin Peaks. We had a giant jar full of money, like <laughs> who killed Laura Palmer? And we were all betting on who killed Laura Palmer. It was such a integral. I got up in the middle of a basketball game and left because I was afraid I was going to miss the start of Twin Peaks. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> when that show was canceled, we were so mad. 
All right, we're gonna we're gonna mail a log to ABC, and we're gonna take it to the <laughs> highest court of the country, and we're gonna do this, and we're gonna do that. You can't cancel Twin Peaks. This is our favorite show. None of us did anything. We didn't right. do a damn thing. <laughs> nobody wrote a letter. Nobody mailed a log to ABC. Nobody did any of that. Right. Mad Magazine. I read every issue. I was on with bated breath. I never wrote a letter to the editor. I never said, "Oh my God, you made a difference in my life. Thank you for making Mad Magazine." Never, ever, ever, never, ever. I never, I never talked to George Lucas and told him I loved Star Wars. There's so many things in my life that I have never, ever, ever, ever approached or tried to approach or try to communicate and tell them hey i really 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 love this thing you do thank you for doing it right so a lot of times the people who appreciate you the very very most will never talk to you which is conversely there are people who who talk the talk buy all the dvds send you letters and they you can tell they've never watched the show not even once Right. You could tell they're just it just it it represents something to them that they wish they had the time to like, but they don't. And and so them buying your DVDs is some sort of affectation of I wish I I wish I had the time to watch your show. Right. Uh, but I like the thing you're doing. Yeah. I think I would like I think I would like the thing that you're doing. <laughs> That's so true. The way that I look at that that is sort of like and people always get weirded about that it's like well that person's a poser and like well i don't know i think sometimes they're just picking up on the vibe of the thing that you're doing and it and 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 it represents something to them and i the, the analogy i always use is the guy who works in a cubicle in an office and he's got a crushing job where he's just crunching numbers day in and day out he doesn't have time for anything else but he's got this little hula girl on the top of his computer and that guy is never going to go to hawaii right he's never going <laughs> to surf he's never going to meet that hula girl but that little plastic hula girl on the top of his computer is keeping him alive it's keeping him from killing himself yeah yeah and 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 i think a lot of things in our lives are like that we 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 romance them because they're unattainable not like watching my show was that unattainable <laughs> but some people don't have uh the time to submerge themselves into a million terrible movies right but they wish they did yeah that's true and in terms of connecting with with the fans and the viewers and all that, I, I obviously you go to a lot of horror conventions. What are some of your favorite horror conventions that you've been to? Well, you know, things even before the pandemic, I feel like the the temperature of conventions was changing. But I do have certain ones that I have um, fondness with. We, you know, we were talking about WonderCon before. That used to be my very favorite convention, and then that turned into one where they had moved it to Anaheim, and the whole vibe changed. And I, you know, it went from being my very best convention to my worst convention personally. Hmm. So conventions do change, and one of my favorite conventions that I really like to do is Monster Bash uh, in um, Mars uh, uh, or Butler, Pennsylvania. Right. This is near Pittsburgh. I really love Monster Bash just because I just uh, there's this family reunion kind of vibe that I really like. And it's a smaller convention, but I we see so many old friends and it's just I feel so welcomed 
And uh, last year I won the Forey Lifetime Achievement Award, the Forey Ackerman Lifetime Achievement Award. Nice. And um, it just, it's just for me, it's like that's a really great one that I really try to do if I can. And then I really love Blobfest. I've done that for nine years as the MC. Of course, this year we did an online thing, so I really wasn't involved in the same way this year. But right. But nine year, I did nine years of hosting Blobfest, and um, Blobfest is really amazing. And the joke I always do is that every other convention is about shame. You're you're digging through a dirty box of comic books while your family is w- waiting waiting for you to finish secretly hating you, right? <laughs> and uh, th- but what's weird about Blobfest is the whole town gets into it. It's like you know the fire department is blasting the CO two, uh, you know, to just to keep the blob at bay, and you know <laughs> that you've got you can get your blob haircut at the at the uh, um, salon. You know, there's the restaurants got the blob burger, and the other restaurants got the blob pancake, and they're having a parade down the street. You know, and it's like this terrible movie was made here. We love you. We love it. <laughs> And it's like, you know, and the blob's not a terrible movie. I'm just being right, uh, extra right. funny, but uh, it, it is amazing the amount of pride because that movie was filmed there, and that this is the theater, the colonial theater is the theater where the blob escapes, and it's become a big. That theater has become kind of like the cornerstone of reviving that whole community, and so you know they have these all these wonderful associations of the tourism and everything that it brings in. They just you know, there's a, we have, there's a Miss Blobfest pageant. And, you know, so there's just this thing where it's very community oriented and I wish more conventions could be more community oriented because you'll do a convention and then you'll go to like, you know, you go to buy something at the drugstore across the street from the convention. And there's a girl at the cash register with a Frankenstein tattoo on her arm. And you're like, uh, so when you get off work, you're going to go to the horror convention across the street. And they're like, there's a horror convention in town, <laughs> right? So, you know, there are a lot of, lot of people who run conventions, they're nerds, you know, they're nerds like, like I'm a nerd. Right. And so they're not super great at reaching out to people or socially planning these things. So, so it's a lot of times they just, you know, it, and a lot of them like it like that, where they sort of just, they have their own click of people who like the things they like and the general community is just unaware of what they're doing. Totally. Another show that I really like to do is Monster Fest in um, Chesapeake. It's just a library show. You got somebody's mom making sandwiches in the break room for people, you know? Right. It's like an old school convention, like what I remember from the 70s, where it's just, you know, uh, banquet tables and people selling old records and, and VHS tapes. And I just the vibe of it's so good. Like everyone's friendly. Everyone's there because they love monster stuff. People in costumes, you know, we do a couple of panels and everyone is just bated breath. We all watch a movie together or something in the evening. That's great. It's just a great, the great vibe. It's just a great vibe. You know, I'm not a huge fan of these, you know, I've done San Diego Comic-Con and I've done uh, some of these massive shows and a lot of them, it's like all about what you're missing versus what you're experiencing. You know, there's just crowds of people and you don't you don't get to see all the things you want to see. You don't get to do all the things you want to do. So a lot of these smaller ones I, I really like. And recently I've really enjoyed doing shows at drive-ins. You I was going to ask you about that. We did a, con- we did a show, wasn't a con- 
well, I guess it was a convention. The one they did last year was at a hotel, but this year, Creature Feature Weekend did a show at the Cumberland Drive-In in Newville, Pennsylvania. And, uh, oh my gosh, it was just, it was so great because I liked how ubiquitous it was. It's like, you know, it's just nice. accessible to everybody. It's like, you know, you've got little kids and families and teenagers and older people and everyone's there and everyone's safe and everyone's in their car watching the movies. But then we've got pumpkin carving and costume contests and, um, you know, trunk or treat. And, and did you MC <sighs> the event? I did. I did. I mean, I was, uh, it was hard to MC a drive-in event. You're just kind of like a, you're a master of ceremonies, but you're almost like the mayor of Halloween town. You just sort of walk around and go, <laughs> oh, how's everybody doing? And you're patting them on the back and, <laughs> you know, whatever. So, you know, I, I loved that. My whole life as a horror host, I felt like I was missing something because I had never been asked to judge a pumpkin carving contest. Wow, so there you go. I got to da- finally... I got to finally do that. My my other bucket list thing was being in a parade. So Blobfest put me in a parade and I got to be in a parade. Nice. But the 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 one thing that had been on my list that I had not got to do yet that that Bob Wilkins got to do many times was judge uh, a pumpkin carving contest. So that was real fun. That's awesome. But um yeah. I mean, that's the kind of stuff I like. I, I like the stuff where you can Oh, Retrocon. I don't didn't mention Retrocon. Okay. But RetroCon's not even a horror convention, but it's all mostly 80s focused, but not strictly that. Just anything that's uh, from your childhood. And they, they sell a lot of toys, a lot of toy vendors, but they have people who who were stars of uh, old TV shows and Muppet performers and, you know, voices from animated shows. And, you know, they have some fun guests and a lot of cosplay and a lot of toys. And the vibe is good. You know, there's a lot of panels and things, and I usually end up screening uh, something at the panel, and it's just—I don't know—I can't—I can't describe it, but I think it's really important when you have a convention that there is a good, welcoming vibe to it, and uh, you know, I like the fact that it's just nostalgia focused because I feel like a lot of the things that I gravitate to aren't specifically horror, right? And I, and I really get tired of the aesthetic of most horror conventions, which I like to categorize as heavy metal sex dungeon. Uh, I, I get tired of that aesthetic. I mean, sometimes you want that. I get it. But the, the, the dungeon walls and the chains and the, you know, the dripping blood, I, you know, I, I like all that stuff. But I, if that's the only thing, it gets dry. Right. Right. It's like those people who listen to classic rock and they don't listen to anything else. It's like, I, you know, it's like I it's like I like the Rolling Stones, but I can't imagine if that was the only thing there was to listen to every day. Exactly. For the rest of my yeah. life. <laughs> you know, I always tell people I I don't really listen to any music after 1990, but it's not just classic rock. I listen to lounge music and all kinds of different things. Mix it up. That was one of the things when we developed OSI 74 is I really wanted to stay away from the heavy metal sex dungeon aesthetics and try to go real clean and modern and futuristic and and optimistic because I was just feeling everything was so negative that I felt like that felt like culturally we needed more uh, a little more mod, a little less rocker culturally so yeah. I, I decided to just do different aesthetics for that well let's jump into osi 74 here because um you know i i just love the look because like you said it's it's futuristic but it's also retro and i love the fact that you've 
you've taken um, inspiration not only from the old UHF cha- UHF channels, but also home video, early cable, drive-in theaters, and more. Can can you tell us how that all came about and and how you you amassed all these amazing shows that you play on there? It's a really interesting thing because you know you work with distributors, you work with channels, you work with networks, you work with all these people, and all the while you think they must know something that I don't. They must be smart because they have this distribution network or they have their syndic- television syndicators or their, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm fussing with my can again. <laughs> um, you got distri- you got, you know, and you work with them and, and deals fall apart or companies get bought out, stations get bought out. And suddenly all this thing you you put all this work to work into is just sort of disappears and you're kind of left in the lurch. And I worked for a, a, and this has happened many times, and streaming became sort of a new thing. And and I and Olaf Phillips, uh, who was the publisher of Paranoia Magazine, he had said, hey, Mr. Lobo, I think you should start your own Roku channel. I said, I, I don't know anything about that. And I don't know, I don't even have a Roku. It's not something I'm very interested in. And then I got a call from these guys in Manassas, Virginia, saying, we're starting a horror channel. We, we, we have on good information that within five years, um, Roku is going to blow up. And we want to be firstest with the mostest with hmm. the horror channel. And they're going to start putting Roku's. They're going to start building Roku's into TV sets. And when 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 someone when someone buys a new television set, and unpacks it and plugs it in, they're going to be able to get programming right away. And that's going to change everything. Cable, you know, people are going to start cutting their cords, and cable is going to be a thing of the past. And it's all going to be about streaming. Right. And we want to have this. We want to have this horror channel where we we've been watching you. We like your show you've got a good rep with the fans you're you have a good influence with content creators you know we want you to help us build this channel so i went and visited them a few times in manassas and uh they were very accommodating and they had a very large studio to work in and they were excellent at building sets and things like that and lighting and um audio and uh, so we made a few episodes together and we had a good rapport. I ended up redesigning their logo. I ended up opening up my address book to my other friends who were filmmakers, content creators. Uh, I started helping them with the public domain movies, you know, movies that they could show um, right. royalty free on the channel. And uh, there were a lot of good people there who put in a lot of good work. And I don't want to say anything negative about anybody. But in the in showbiz, things change, right? And uh, they had they had sold the company, and we showed up at the station to shoot more stuff. And they're literally packing stuff up there. Hey, you want to keep your chair? I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, of course I want to keep my chair. <laughs> uh, and they're like, yeah, well, we're we're done. We sold the company, and you know we might be doing something else. But and I'm like, okay, you sold the company. All right. Well, that's good, but I didn't get a piece of that, right? It's like, and so we're driving home with our chair and a bunch of props from the show, and they're, and the studio is gone, and we're like, the channel is gone, and we're like, well, we were still having fun making yeah. shows. What if we 
what if we and there was the kind of thing where they feel like they just bought it just to just to squelch it like you know they just bought it to end them so that they could do their own thing you know yeah and so we're driving home and I'm like oh, you know i don't know well it's like we had so many ideas that they in aesthetics that they weren't interested in i mean if it was just us and we didn't have to answer to anybody what kind of channel would we make you know and this is on the four-hour drive home dixie and i are talking about what kind of channel would we make if it was our channel you know yeah i always liked the idea that it didn't have to just be horror stuff that it could be just weird stuff just broader than that you know there's a lot of great content out there that's not just strictly horror and and all those old television stations that i loved as a kid it was like you'd stay up all night because you had no idea what they were going to show right you know and it was all there was all this discovery and the same thing with early vhs it's like you know you're ready to go buy Paul, uh, uh, puppet master or so, or you I mean not puppet master because you, you're ready to buy something like poltergeist right you know and four inches over is puppet master you've got a 40 million dollar movie next to a forty thousand dollar movie right you know and your fingers could touch either one of those and take them home and so there was so much discovery in the VHS era, you know, where you would just read the back of a box and go, all right, whatever, two bucks, whatever. Yeah. I'll rent it. We'll see what happens. And I felt like we were, we, we, we were, even though we have more choices, we've lost a lot. We lost a lot of that discovery because now it depends on how good of a searcher you are. You know, yeah. it's like, Oh, okay. I'm going to go look for this thing that I already know exists. Oh, and I found it. Okay, well, of course you were looking for it. I would hope you found. It. Right. <laughs> but how do you find things? How do you find things you aren't looking for? Yeah. Yeah. So that that was something. And then I was also thinking about um, how decades kind of end on the fours. I always thought that, you know, when people say, oh, I really love the 50s. I'm like, well, what you think is the 50s is really like 1954 to 1964. Yeah. And then, oh, I really love the 60s. Yeah, well, you really think of the 60s as from 1964 to about 1974. Right. I don't know why I was stuck on that concept, but that was one of the things I was thinking about with the fours. We already had OSI 74, or not OSI, but Channel 74 in the canon of Cinema Insomnia as a fake television station. Okay. So I always, always kind of loved that number. And, and, and numerically, supposedly like numerology seven and four are light and dark so pulling on each other oh okay and so there were a lot of different things that i thought was interesting and i always thought that like you know 13 is sort of trite you know and uh six 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 is trite you know there's all these like numbers that are i feel like overused you know in horror stuff yeah you know in Max Headroom, they had Network 23, which I thought was cool because 23 is supposed to be an unlucky number also. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, but, you know, I was just trying to think of something that was, an, and, and it was important that it was a number over a certain number because I wanted it to be a UHF number. I wanted it to be a number that could be a UHF station. Okay, um, yeah. In In 1983 all of the 
UHF bandwidth above channel 69 was reappropriated for cell phones. So right. everybody says everybody says video killed the radio star, cell phones killed UHF. Yep, that's true. Yep. So I thought making it making it that number puts it in a time frame. It puts it in a time frame b between 1974 and 1984. That's the time frame that it gets put into. Right. And everything post moon landing, there was this weird like futurism that was kind of, everybody thought, oh, okay, every, the future's coming. We've got to have this sort of different attitude and we've got to be ready for the future. I mean, that happened in the 50s too, with the, after the atom split, everyone had that same kind of forward thinking, you right. know? Yep. Um, and uh, so definitely I took a lot of ideas from the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. Maybe that, maybe that spread goes from 64 to 84. But I wanted it to be something that would seem familiar, like the logo I had drawn. I had looked at a lot of different things. I had looked at UHF logos for channels. Right. I looked at uh, distribution companies for VHS, early cable company logos. So I, for the OSI 74, I tried to take in aesthetics from a lot of different things like that. And so I designed the 70, OSI 74 logo and then Dixie and I picked out the colors. Uh, we picked out this kind of aquamarine blue and then like this sort of tangerine orange and then this weird cream color and then this very dark blue. And we made kind of a weird kind of sporty stripey kind of almost like zoom lines coming off of the 74 you know yeah yep and uh speed lines i guess coming off of the 74 and you know that was the one aspect of it and then the other aspect of it is i was thinking of uh, distribution companies like american international okay yeah and they had a whole for a whole formula for all of the um, the content that they made, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the formula for American international is that they had a target. I mean, obviously they made everything cheap. They already had the distribution figured out before they, uh, made the movie. Typically they made the poster first, right? <laughs> Even the title, they knew exactly how many, yeah, the title and the poster, and they'd sell it on the title and the poster, <laughs> and then they would go ahead and make the movie after they already knew how many theaters it was going into. Right. So they didn't spend any extra money that they didn't need to spend because they already knew how much money they were making on the movie before the movie came out. Right. Um, so they were very efficient. I like that efficiency. You know, it kind of also reminded me of of uh, uh, the early Apple you know, where the supposedly those guys were in their garage building a whole computer company, you know, I, yep. I like that whole idea of, of working within the system, but not going by their rules. Like, you know, you're doing everything in this really uh, efficient and underground way. 
But then I was also thinking about why is everything underground? Like, why is it like they're B movies? It's a subculture. Oh, it's cult movies. It's like, can't why can't we assume that we're we're ahead of everyone versus under everyone or above everything versus beneath everything, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's the same thing of the lowest common denominator versus the highest common denominator. Um, so I, I liked the idea that we were, we were operating not, uh, not below the radar, but maybe above the radar, you know? <clears throat> right. So do you produce all the content that's on there? I don't. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, I am the head programmer and Cinema Insomnia goes on there. And a lot of the shows I have a hand in, but I couldn't possibly produce a thousand videos by myself. It's all, I guess I, I kind of got off uh, got off topic, but I uh, basically, when, when Zombie ended, I called all my, every friend I've ever had who had a bad distribution deal. Every friend I ever had who wanted to get their content out there in some way, I gave them I gave them a call and I said, "Look, I'm starting a channel." Um, Sleazy P. Martini, who is one of the characters from the band Guar. Oh, okay. I had met him in Virginia. He had I had met him in Virginia, and he just said he always wanted to be a movie host. I didn't give him any money. I didn't make any promises to him. I just said, I'm starting a channel. If you want to make that show that you were talking about, you've got a home for it. Right. <laughs> and he did. And he did. And he did. He made like, you know, 27 episodes of it. So, you know, uh, and, and uh, I, Troma gave me a bunch of content. Church of the Subgenius gave me a bunch of content. I mean, it, it was amazing how many people trusted what we were doing and gave us content to to air on the channel um and some of it is sort of you know long-term kind of like you know things that we wanted to archive and things that we knew about that you know either the rights were in obscurity or you know we we I, for an example there was a show called hypnotic eye which was somewhat influential to me that i only knew about through tape trading in the 90s huh. and it was a show produced out of texas and the guy just edited a bunch of weird commercials and kaiju and all sorts of stuff together and he had a he had a puppet that was an eyeball <laughs> uh that hosted it and the guy died oh geez um the guy who made the show passed away and all of his episodes were on archive.org and so the the popular wisdom is that okay these shows were made for public access anyway and the guy's dead and so what anybody could show them anywhere and i didn't feel great about that i didn't feel like okay we're gonna take joe riley's show because he's dead and put it on a channel without trying to talk to anybody or reach out to anybody that didn't feel good yeah so i reached out to his widow i reached out to his best friend i reached out to the people who knew him people who worked on the show and i got everyone to know what we were doing and i actually got them all to re record or some of them to record little two-minute intros for the episodes to sort of memorialize the show in some way so even though we don't and we don't have very many of the episodes up there because i'm still waiting on people to turn in their two-minute intros because i really feel like i i felt like we had a certain responsibility to not just present this content not just dump the content up there, but to curate it in some way. Right. 
So that's kind of a weird, again, a weird thing that that came out of nowhere with the channel. Another thing was a, a show that I always loved called Star Hustler. Jack Horkheimer was a naked oh, yeah. eye astronomer. Yep. And Doctor Who would end on Saturday nights at the local PBS station. Yep. And before the PBS station would sign off, they'd have these weird five minute videos with Jack Horkheimer telling you that, you know, if you get up at three in the morning and look <laughs> due east, you can see Jupiter, you know, and that was his thing. And, and I had such fond <laughs> memories of that, but there was really no way of watching those shows. Right. And uh, I had I had a very good relationship with the um uh, the science museum in florida and they had they had given me a bunch of his episodes because they used to run cinema insomnia in their theater at the at the um miami space transit planetarium they had a theater oh that's great and they used to run cinema insomnias in there on friday nights or whatever at the science museum so the so the, the guy at the science museum had given me a bunch of episodes of jack horkheimer so we put those on the channel. So a lot of the things we've put on the channel, some of the things are car old. We have a Saturday morning cartoons. We have a whole yep. lineup of cartoons called all systems go. Yep. Uh, we have a bunch of creature feature stuff. I have some of Bob's old stuff on there. I have some of John's old stuff on there. Yep. Just kind of sampling. Unfortunately, we don't have a huge crew of people preparing this stuff for the channel. So it's just, you know, some things just sort of get done in their own time where, okay, we've got another episode that's that's formatted for the channel and just and and uh put it up there the all of the shows that are up there are formatted and what i mean by formatted is there are breaks and we have promos in the breaks we have um ratings where every all the content that's up there has a rating at the beginning so yep. no even though there's no there's no restriction on the content that's up there i feel like people have a right to know what they can expect from the content that they're playing yeah you know uh i feel like it's like a a, a nutritional facts you know it's right like, okay <laughs> you, there's going to be swearing in this or there's going to be nudity in this or this is okay for everybody or this is okay we think this is okay for kids or this is not I because I, I think that, you know, yeah. I, I was just going to say, I, I love reading them because it's like, this movie is perfectly okay for kids. There may be little or no nudity involved. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. There's one that it tells you to set your plants outside while you're watching right, it. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's a, there's some of them do say funny things. Uh, but again, I think people like my, I always rate my show PG 14 just on, to be on the safer side because, yeah. uh, you know, we are dealing with, with, we are dealing with horror movies and my humor does get really irreverent and ironic. And I think that if you're, if you're, if you kids don't understand irony or satire. And I think that a lot of the things that Mr. Lobo says are so damaging and backward that I wouldn't really wouldn't want to subject a kid to that unless they had a certain kind of Mad Magazine, yeah, Monty Python yeah. sensibility to them. Well, my grandson um, is four, and he's discovered the um, the custom monsters and friends, and he loves that. And he he one time he was watching it, and he points to the guy that looks like Tor Johnson, and he goes, "I'm going to show that guy my dance moves." <laughs> <laughs> 
that's nice yeah that's awesome i'm sure craig would love to hear that <laughs> you know uh that's who that show is for you know and i'm you know craig that's a good example uh craig clark he does all the voices he animates that entire show himself that's a one-man band half hour animated show wow that's an that is he that is guy is spreading himself thin that's an enormous amount of work to, to saddle himself with that guy's worked on the simpsons he's he's he did the lightning effect in Big Trouble in Little China. I mean, oh, this wow. guy's worked in feature films and and in uh, big studio uh, series. This is just what he does in his spare time is making his own show. And he was he and I were both on UATV, which was Urban American Television, okay. which was a satellite channel, sort of akin to America One and that sort of thing. Right, right. I remember. And they, they supplied a lot of content to lo low-powered uhf affiliates and um you know he was he was on that channel and then we were also both syndicated through amg tv which is a syndicate and when we so we were kind of of the same alumni where we just found ourselves on some of the same stations in different markets and he was between stations and between markets and you know i i was between networks and so i had just asked him if he would be interested in being on OSI 74 and and you know he gave us the entire catalog of his show plus the two custom monsters movies and I'm eternally grateful I'm grateful to anyone who would put their baby on our altar and and, and have us be you know the keeper of their baby you know so we I feel I take it very seriously that we're we're entrusted with a lot of babies yeah you know from a lot of proud papas and yeah. <laughs> it's and mamas and so you you know you the, the thing that i feel like the channel presents because it's a collective you know no one's getting rich off of this the thing that the the major benefit is is that we are all stronger because we're together it you know we maybe we can't be distributed by disney or universal but we can have a strong professional unified front with a lot of content and build our own audience with people who like this sort of stuff and cross promote each other and you know the uh it, the breaks in the programs are very important because one it establishes the tone and the tempo and the purpose of the channel two we all get a little promotion like when someone's watching cinema insomnia they're seeing an ad for custom monsters or they're seeing an ad for you know some of the other programs that are on the show and vice versa when someone's watching custom monsters they might see a promo for cinema insomnia so if they come to the station because some people they again it's you know people search for things but they search for things that they're already interested in right so you know, if they come to the station for one show, they might binge that whole, that one show and never come back again. Yeah. So uh, the importance of cross promotion helps everyone because it keeps them in our bubble longer. You know, while Craig is in his basement trying to make more episodes, they can be watching something else and stay in that bubble so that when Craig has a new show up on the channel, there's still someone there to watch it. Right, right. So, do you, do you, does Roku so, give you a, a he, method for measuring uh, how many people are watching? Uh, we have some indicators. We have good reason to believe that not, not all the indicators are totally accurate. 
They do give us statistics. I know that millions of people have watched the channel, wow. uh, but I can't tell you exactly like, I think probably 180,000 plays a month is what it was before we switched servers. Hmm. And now it's a little harder to determine that but i do know that probably four giga or excuse me four terabytes of material is watched every month wow at you know 720p or whatever <laughs> roku streaming is right so you know it's it's a lot uh, uh, uh it's a lot of stuff thousands and thousands of plays everything on there gets thousands of plays typically um, there are a few things that only get 27 plays on them. And and I'm happy that it's there for those 27 people who were interested in that right. particular thing. Um, right now, our biggest uh, um, draw is all our Christmas stuff. I have all my Christmas episodes. Oh, yeah. we, we have some things that are kind of... I would say gray area, uh, like we have we, we have the Will Vinton claymation special up there, taped off a television. <laughs> I'm not sure we have the rights to have that there. Uh, we have the Ziggy Christmas gift. You know, we have a, a lot of a lot of we have a few things on there that are just things that I remember yeah. that I don't see available anywhere else that don't have any current distribution that I'm aware of because usually what I try to look into is is this being distributed is it is it is it available are we stepping on anybody's toes right if if we do choose to sh to to show something that is you know that we know we don't have the rights to I usually see okay is this an active property you know certainly if someone were to say hey you know this is ours knock it off we certainly would immediately cease and desist but uh, fortunately that almost never happens that's good um we haven't had um we're pretty good with our due diligence you know with, with the occasional exceptions like this like i said i feel like we're, we're skating a little bit on thinner ice with some of the christmas stuff but we do have a plenty of dyed in the wool public domain christmas content on there too old christmas cartoons and things and all of that stuff's doing great right now like i feel like uh and then we tried to find the christmas episodes of most of the shows that we have and try to put them all in the in the what i call the season's feelings category seasons feelings and holiday blues is was was our first christmas program christmas uh, promo and uh, so pretty much the christmas content uh or the holiday content i should say comes under the seasons feelings category that's amazing that's well that's so awesome that you have your own roku channel prepare for a spine tingling nerve shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters you won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic monsters, modern talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on 
Monster Kid Radio. We come from the retro future. We want you to be nostalgic for what's to come. A new channel and distribution network for smart people with bad taste featuring content from Church of the Subgenius, Creature Features, Cinema, Insomnia, Sleazy P. Martini and Guar, Troma, Corey Maccabee, Horror, Sci-Fi, Saturday Morning Cartoons, Midnight Movies, and Assorted Trash We Love. Add our channel OSI 74 to your Roku player or visit OSI74.com. All systems go. Hey folks, I just wanted to take a minute here to tell you about the hosting service that we use at Haven Podcasts, podserve.fm. Podcast hosting has never been easier. They do all the work to get your podcast on Apple Podcasts and other major podcast networks. They help you navigate the podcasting world, whether you're brand new or have years of experience. Folks, I can't tell you how happy I am with their service. When I first started this podcast, I searched around intensely for the right hosting platform. I found PodServe and used their simple four-step process, and in a short amount of time, my podcasts were on the internet and available through all the major podcast networks. And their customer support is unreal. Every time I goof things up and make a mistake, like uh, posting the wrong show to the wrong feed, I email them, and I kid you not, within minutes I get a response and the problem is resolved. And they're the only podcasting host that actually helps you get listeners. Other podcast hosts stop at Podcast Upload and don't help promote your podcast. Well, PodServe makes sure your podcast is seen by thousands of people. The promotion is free, and they put you on PodParadise.com, which has over 5,000 visits a day from avid podcast listeners and is growing every day. Each day, Pod Paradise selects five podcasts to spotlight on their front page. Maybe yours could be there soon. PodServe's pricing is simple. Only 19 bucks a month. That's it. No tiered pricing platform, just one low fee. For 19 bucks a month, you get unlimited storage, unlimited podcasts, free podcast promotion, your podcasts on all platforms, detailed download analytics, one-on-one customer support. You pay month to month, and you can cancel at any time. And when you sign up, you get 14 days free. You don't even have to give them your credit card. I love their service so much, I put a reminder in my phone to add my credit card when the 14 days was almost up. I couldn't give them my 19 bucks fast enough. I'm telling you, I, I really didn't believe it until I actually signed up and saw my podcast on everything from iTunes to Stitcher and Spotify and more in a ridiculously short amount of time. So if you've got a podcast and you don't have a hosting platform, I highly recommend podserve.fm. Check them out. Um, I just we're, we're going to probably wrap up pretty soon, but sure. real briefly, can you give tell us about your experience with the Plan Nine from Outer Space remake? Sure, uh, that was kind of a surprise. I was really, um, of course, a huge Ed Wood fan. You know, talk about someone making something in their garage and kind of sneaking it above the radar <laughs> 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 or under the radar. I, I feel like the idea that the fact that that guy was able to make multiple feature films that could be shown in theaters is quite amazing and inspirational as far as, uh, and I love the original Plan 9 um, from Outer Space movie. I also enjoy, um, you know, Bride of the Monster and all of Ed Wood's stuff. I just It's just near and dear to my heart. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, you know, Vampira is immortal. Uh, the very first horror hostess, Vampira, is immortalized in Plan Nine. Yeah. Uh, Criswell, who was the narrator for many of 
of course, Bella Lugosi is in some Ed Wood stuff, but right. Criswell was kind of Ed Wood's Rod Serling, you know. Criswell was usually the spectral narrator who presented his uh, his stories in some of his movies. And I feel like after Bella died, Criswell was kind of t- took over as the puppet master sort of role. And I always, always, always wanted to be involved in some kind of revival of Plan 9. I was involved with the Church of Ed Wood and, you know, we, we, we brought a lot of those movies back to theaters and we brought the Tim Burton movie to the Midnight Movie Circuit and lots of things. And Johnny was making this, Johnny uh, Johnson was making, had been making, you had mentioned Spade earlier, that, that, that series ended a long time ago, but... Oh, okay. um, uh, Johnny Johnson was making a lot of things and he had seen my interview on cinema and Sami with Bruce Campbell and he was a huge evil dead fan. And for whatever reason, he thought I knew Bruce Campbell personally or something, <laughs> but he reached out to me and I ended up doing a lot of uh, cameos and things in some of his movies that he was making in Norfolk, Virginia. And um, he had been interviewed by Starlog or something and they asked him, about remakes, which is kind of a hot topic at the time, and it still is. And he said, well, why do they always remake movies that are perfect? They should remake something like Plan 9 from Outer Space. And this interview got such traction that people were handing him money to make a feature film. Wow. Of You know, people, he just, his phone rang off the hook and everybody wanted him to make a Plan 9 from Outer Space remake. And he's like, okay. You know, and he called me and I remember he was real nervous about it. He's like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And I said, Ed Wood was an exploitation director, you know, he yeah. exploited the market. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. That's just right. the kind of filmmaker he was. He goes, I would think about the kind of movie that you would want to see, something that you would want to pay money out of your pocket to see and just make a movie that you would actually want to see. Cause you can't make someone else's movie for them. You have to make your own movie, right, you know? Right. And so he had said, well, you're kind of my Criswell, you know, we've already had you as a narrator. We had you do our audio commentary for our deceptors DVD, you know? And, I, and I'm like, I don't know if I could be Criswell. I'm not sure I could, you know, I, I don't physically look like him you know, and he said, well, Criswell was a real guy who had a TV show and you're a real guy who had a, has a TV show. So you're a contemporized version of that kind of guy. So anyhow, uh, it finally uh, got to the point where we recorded a thing in 2009. 2009, <laughs> we thought we were going to finish the movie. In 2009, we thought we were going to finish the movie, but they, 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 someone had promised them more money if he waited. So they made a um, teaser trailer in 2009 on wow. 9909. I did the voice. I did the voiceover as Criswell for uh, the Plan Nine uh, movie, and that was all shot on 35 millimeter film. And it was very expensive for them to create that teaser trailer on film right. in those times. So so it looked great, looked professional. It's a real movie. People were excited about it, but to get the kind of movie money to shoot that entirely on film a feature film on 35 millimeter stock at that time was going to be real expensive, but they were waiting for that money to drop from the investors. 
And that was going to take some time. So during that time, I thought, well, maybe this is an opportunity to try to get people to accept Mr. Lobo as Criswell. So far, we've only heard the voice in the trailer. So I created over 60 three-minute-long Criswell predictions videos. And we just started kind of we reactivated Criswell predicts Criswell used to do a 15 minute television program after the news and the local LA market where he would make erroneous predictions. Right. (laughs) And I thought, you know, he, (laughs) you know, Criswell's a kind of a wacky character. He's in 400 newspapers. He was uh, on the radio. He had his TV program and he was also sued for fraud too. So, you know, he's kind of a weird kind of, character and i thought well there's a lot of humorous potential to this character and it might be fun to kind of apply my satirical humor to his format and do redo uh do a do a spoof version of criswell predictions and the way i always interpreted my version of criswell is chevy chase's version of gerald ford (laughs) chevy chase (laughs) Chevy Chase doesn't look like Gerald Ford. He doesn't sound like Gerald Ford. You don't never, ever, ever, ever think that Chevy Chase is Gerald Ford, but you understand that he's standing in for Gerald Ford. And that's kind of how I thought about my version of Criswell is that everyone knows it's Mr. Lobo. I don't, I don't blend into a character. It's clearly Mr. Lobo. But, this is Mr. Lobo as Criswell. And so that's kind of how I played it. I asked Johnny what his vision for Criswell was. He said, Mr. Lobo with a bow tie. That was the only <laughs> character direction I got. That's awesome. But in reading the script, he's such a he's such a jerk in the script. A spoiled jerk, which makes me think, did Johnny think I'm a spoiled jerk? <laughs> but I thought what a fun character to play There's someone who's just so just so just uh angry and spoiled and entitled and it was a, a good opportunity for me to make fun of people in my life who behave that way right so so that was really fun to be a prima donna for the first half of the movie but then he has this amazing arc where he's the only character in that whole remake who actually has an arc that and it and let me quickly say by I had no idea that this was going to be a dramatic role originally. I thought I was just going to be serving as a narrator because that's what I do, spectral narrator. Right. Um, you know, ah, greetings, my friends. We're all interested in the future because that is where you and I will spend the rest of our lives. You know, I was going to <laughs> thought it was going to be just me doing that same shtick at a table in an empty room and that I really wouldn't be involved with the characters. Right. And so Johnny's like, no, no, no. Criswell heard everyone's testimony when he so he met everyone and was involved in some way. And so that's the interesting idea is that Mr. is that is that Criswell is doing his speech based on testimony and testimony implies that he met everyone and knew everyone that he wasn't just detached from everything. (laughs) So the idea of him walking out of the studio and his prediction coming true and, and, and him being down on the ground, killing zombies. 
was an interesting concept. So I got to be an action hero in this movie. I'm jumping up on top of cars and I'm killing zombies. <laughs> and so you got a person who starts off with the job of being above everything and being separated from everyone and being in this ivory tower to having to get down and dirty and help save the world and not be selfish. That's <laughs> awesome. You know? So I felt like that was a, that was a, that was a morally, I felt like that was a, a great tale to tell where it's like, wow, this is, this is a person who you really don't like at the beginning who does a complete turn. And by the end of it, he's helped. He's one of the heroes. And I, I, I just thought that that was so fun and I couldn't, I had so much fun making it. And, and then, you know, we shot it in 2011. This is, so the trailer was made in 2009. Right. We shot it in 2011 we did not it got released internationally in 2015 it still didn't get released in this country until 2016 oh my god when it showed up in every walmart that's really when things really picked up is when it finally came out in 2016 so you know this is like you know 2000 in 2008 is when johnny started talking to me 2016 is when it finally was available in this country for people to watch. <laughs> wow. Unbelievable. So eight, eight years. And plan the original Plan 9 was kind of, had those same kind of problems too, which makes me really believe that there's an Ed Wood curse. Oh, well, there you go. But maybe maybe that curse is a good curse because people are discovering the movie now and, and, it, and, it, and it seems like people are very surprised by it. Like it's, even though it has a, a, a more modern tone and certainly is shocking, it, I think people have seen stuff that's so much more terrible <laughs> <laughs> that our movie shines in, in comparison. Uh, so I, I, it is getting its day and getting and getting appreciated. And I have a lot of people wanting me to host screenings of plan nine or asking if we're going to do it on cinema insomnia or whatever. And that's, that's, it's, it's really nice because it's, it's, it's an interesting thing because we were kind of just doing an homage to cult movies in general. Right. And actually think that it might become a cult movie itself. Boy, wouldn't that be wonderful if in 20 years, people are still talking about the plan nine remake. That's amazing. That that is so amazing. So, um, is there a movie that you've always dreamed of hosting, but you, for whatever maybe financial reasons or whatever rights reasons, you haven't been able to show it? Every day. Yep. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of them. Although I actually like showing misunderstood movies. I mean, you know, the joke they're not bad movies, just misunderstood. Right. I do feel like the better the movie, the less purpose I have to the show. Like, I feel like, I like think of my job as like hamburger helper, you know, <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> I feel like the movies improve what I do and I improve what the movie does, you oh, know? There you go. Yeah. And so I feel like there's an interplay where we both are two parts of a whole and, the, and, 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 you know, I don't know who's the straight man and who's, sometimes I don't know what my role is, but we're working together. And sometimes when the movie's too good, I feel like, what am I even doing here? I feel like I'm getting in the way of this movie, you know? Um, Night of the Living Dead was a real hard one for me 
when we hosted it initially because it was just like oh, everyone's seen this movie i'm not really introducing this movie to anyone it's a brand new i mean i'm not brand new it's a i feel like i'm doing a parody of a horror host you know right. i remember just a kid coming up to me on the street going oh my gosh mr lobo i saw planet i saw um night of the living dead for the first time last night or saturday last saturday night and then I realized, wow, there's a whole nother generation who ha who hasn't who hasn't seen this movie before, and maybe they don't have the attention span developed yet to just dive in straight. And having a host might get them to watch that movie for the first time, right? And that they might that's going to always be their experience of seeing that movie the first time. That's one of the reasons why I really love Blobfest because the blob is such a great movie and I get to proselytize and introduce new people to that, to that film. That being said, I would love to do the invisible man. I would love to do forbidden planet. I mean, I would love to do return of the living dead. I mean, there's so many uh, movies that would just be fun to play in their universe right? and do skits about the material just because I've spent so much time thinking about those movies that it would be fun. Robot Monster is one that I've been wanting to do for so long, but the rights are not totally clear whether that's public domain. And Wade Williams, uh, to the best of my knowledge, believes that he owns robot monster or i don't know if he sold it now or what the rights are but you know i feel like robot monster even though it is a misunderstood movie and thought to be public domain already is like the quintessential horror hosted movie like i feel like that should be every host should have hosted that movie right and we have roman as a character on the show we have romana which is a female version of roman that we have on the show <laughs> And I would love to do the Roman holiday special. Nice. And have go back to the Roman planet and, you know, have a bunch of gorilla, people in gorilla suits and diving helmets and host <laughs> that movie in on planet Roman. I feel like that would be the penultimate cinema insomnia episode. I hope we get there one day. That would be awesome. That would be so awesome. You know, and uh, one, one last thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, this show, we talk about stuff, uh, cool stuff that uh, people may have missed out on. And, and it's born out of the concept when my son, no pun intended, was born. I felt the need to bring him up to speed on all the cool stuff he had missed out on. So my son and daughter, when they went to school and the teacher would make references, they get them. They watch shows, they get the references. But there's a lot of kids today that have forgotten things. I mean, I noticed in the 1990s, people were starting to forget things that are important, that are part of the pop culture. So, you know, my question is, aside from horror TV hosts, which we talked about today, what in your mind are perhaps some things that our culture shouldn't lose touch with? And I'll give you two examples of what I'm talking about. Kids today generally don't know who Fonzie is mm -hmm. and they don't know who Frank Sinatra is. Mm -hmm. You know, are mm -hmm. there any similar pop culture icons? Like you said, that, that little kid was introduced to Night of the Living Dead. Is, is there, are, are there other things in your mind that people should know, but they've forgotten? Absolutely. In fact, my show is full of those kinds of things because that is something that I always think about are media literacy or even pop culture 
uh, essentials. Um, so a lot of the things that are shown in the breaks, a lot of a TV commercial, where's the beef or whatever, you know, right. um, let's go out to the lobby. You yep. know, we show, we have, let's go out to the lobby almost in every episode. And, and, and when I meet people, they'll, you know, we'll sing, let's go out to the lobby together. And I feel <laughs> like every, let's go out to the lobby should be like happy birthday. Everyone should know one person starts singing it and everybody else should jump in, you know? I think that the, uh, you know, the whistling from Bridge on the River Kwai should be like that too. Yep. I think that there was another thing that I was just thinking of, darn it. Um, uh, oh, the, 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 the good, the bad, and the ugly. The, yep. uh, the theme to the good, the bad, the ugly. Everyone should know that. Everyone should know Ennio Morricone uh, yeah. or Morricone, I guess. Everyone should know, you know, the Warner Brothers cartoons and um, the, you know, there's a, just a, there's a ton of things like that that should be essentials. You know, Robot Monster is one of those things. Everyone, that should be in everyone's vernacular. Right. You know, uh, to me, to me anyway, to me anyway. Uh, and, and I think that's why a lot of the trailers and things on the show repeat. I kind of feel like it's Sesame Street for adults. You know, we've got a lot of things that we just keep showing over and over again um, that I think are cult movie essentials. You know, I, you know, whatever the hot dog jumping into the bun, the, <laughs> you know, the, the weird musical shorts, the, the, you know, the 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 and the props and stuff i use too like there's like weird old board games and toys and all sorts of things that aren't just nostalgic for me because they were old when i was a kid right you know yep so it's not like i'm just trying to impose my you know generational bias on another generation it's like these things were old. frankenstein was old when i was a kid right godzilla was old when i was a kid yeah you know i didn't uh, i didn't i don't have any more right to godzilla than the than some 15 year old kid going to see godzilla right now because godzilla was 30 years old when i was a kid right Frankenstein was 50 years old when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Right. A lot of these things were already old. And so I, I think that's where the essentials come in. And I do think you have to, you know, obviously all the monsters, you know, all of the, the universal monsters, all of the, um, the, the horror classics, Edgar Allan Poe and Lovecraft and, you know, uh, uh, all of that stuff. I mean, I feel like that there are certain certain things that should be kind of impressed upon younger generations and, and hopefully in a way that where they feel like they're discovering it and not in a way that they feel like someone is shoving it down their throat. Because I do think that that people will resist uh, if they feel like they're being spoon fed, they, they will, will resist that. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I really feel that your show Cinema Insomnia does all that. It really does. Like you like you outlined, it just ex it presents these things to the next generation. And uh, I think you're doing a great job of getting these things out there and, and putting out great entertainment as well. So, Mr. Lobo, it has truly been a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show here. I, I would definitely love to have you back in the future because, well, first of all, I had tons of questions that I didn't even get to. Um, but also we can promote your new projects and, and maybe even talk about horror movies. 
How about that? Wouldn't that be refreshing? Yes. Well, thank you so much for such a, a detailed and in-depth. Uh, I feel like this has been like therapy of some sort for me. I got to really dig deep. A lot of times, you know, you talk for, you know, I was on Coast to Coast AM last Friday night. You know, I talked oh, wow. to them for 25 minutes and it's a real, you know, surface kind of thing. Or you're answering phone calls and this was very in-depth and obviously you did a lot of uh, research on my work and, and uh, you know, have a actual understanding and of the show. And so I really appreciate the, the, uh, the e extra layer of work that you did to... Uh, conduct a, a good interview so thank you excellent well thank you very much so now you've got all kinds of projects and merchandise uh where can mm -hmm. the listeners easily find mm -hmm. you online and on tv uh yes i do if you want to obviously add osi 74 to your roku right now if not i have a youtube cinema insomnia i have a youtube mr lobo page uh so i have two different youtube channels uh, I have a Vimeo channel that's Cinema Insomnia. I have a Vimeo uh, channel that's OSI 74. The OSI 74 website has a has the Vimeo stuff cataloged really nicely, so it's a little easier to watch uh, the OSI content online from the website, uh, osi74.com. Uh, I have 17 titles on Alpha Video, nice. which you can buy at oldies.com, uh, which are beautiful artwork. God, they got the best uh, design team for DVDs over at Alpha. I really love their work. Uh, they just know how to handle retro stuff, I think. And trying to think of, oh, I have a podcast, Sleepless Nights with Mr. Lobo podcast. Uh, we, we're, I think we're about 60 episodes or strong or so. Oh, yeah, that was one of the things uh, I wanted to talk about. And, <laughs> yeah. And then I've got, uh, I've got a, uh, there's a movie called Feeders 3, which is coming out in 2021 that I'm doing the introduction for as wow. Criswell, which, which uh, you, don't, you never, you didn't hear it here. So that's, that's secret, that's top secret. So tell your <laughs> listeners not to tell anyone. Okay. And uh, so, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's, we're trying to stay busy. I have a card game. Mr. Lobo's Monster Match Game. Uh, I have a coloring book, Mr. Lobo and the Monsters. Uh, I have a store, which is square, uh, square, osi74.square.site is our new store. I haven't got it all. It's relatively new, but there's tons of stuff on there. There's stickers and magnets and DVDs and OSI stuff and posters and more and more stuff all the time so I, I think that unfortunately today people won't buy content for the most part right. uh so merchandise is, is the way i feel for independent producers to really monetize their work and, and it does take a long time and a lot of merchandise to try to hit upon the right things that people want so it, it's constantly trial and error to try to put things out that people like i would have never guessed that the card game and the t-shirt would be the two best things that we have on the wow. site but those are the things right now he seems to want so um you know so that that's it so th yes but that, uh, uh, that's all i can think of anyhow but yeah a lot of a lot of, i'm the easiest guy to find on the internet so i hope <laughs> to see you all soon Excellent. Thank you so much again. And we're going to spread the word for Mr. Lobo and all your merch and your shows and everything else. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All systems go. Excellent.
Well, folks, we hope you enjoyed today's episode, and we hope you learned a lot about horror TV hosts as well as Mr. Lobo. We encourage you to check out all of Mr. Lobo's online sites as well as his Roku channel, OSI74. As always, you can visit our website at havenpodcasts.com, where you can also find our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and spaghetti westerns. If you want to send us your feedback, please email us at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. You can also join in the conversation at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thenisnowpodcast. All of our podcasts can be found wherever you get your podcasts from, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. If you like our show, please leave us a great review wherever you get your podcasts from so that other people can find us. And don't forget, Then Is Now Podcast is now also available on YouTube. So check it out at youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1. And please subscribe, as well as sharing the link with your friends and asking them to subscribe as well. That's all the time we have for Then Is Now Podcast today. We hope you learned about something you never knew before. Class dismissed.